Welcome to episode 22 of the Sign Radio Show. For the first time in a while, we have a look beyond the demo scene and chat with Alex McLean, one of the inventors and key figures of algorithms and the live music coding movements. Hello and welcome to episode 22 of the Zion Radio Show. I'm Oki. Axel. And I'm Sifoid. And we're back once again for another episode filled with fun things and strange things. Uh, a really interesting interview coming up uh, with somebody from outside the demo scene this time. Oh yes, that's going to be a twist. Yeah, it should be interesting because it's a completely different field that we are not involved with uh, so far, but um, yeah. there might be some similarities to what the demo scene is about. So we're going to dive right in later we on. Can, yeah, who knows what we can accomplish by pulling these people in. But before we get to that, so stick around for that. Before we get to that, let's talk about other things. Um, revision coming up. Mm-hmm. How's your cable entry coming along? Absolutely nothing has happened. <laughs> so uh, for revision, I'll probably do something else, but uh, I will keep messing with it. There will be a demo, and it might still be in 2022. Mm. I'll, I'll aim oh, for... Oh, that's a promise. Uh, yeah, I saw Evoke is happening in August. It seems nice and far <laughs> away. Let's see how far we get. So right. for, revision, for revision, I might just stick to music. Are you guys doing some music entries or some entries for revision? No, actually, I will be completely swamped with another project until then. So, but uh, I'm actually very much looking forward to to seeing revision uh, again, but this time offline or online again, right? So not not offline on on site, but yeah, it's going to be remote again, right? So. What's the news yes. there? Yeah, it's going to be remote, but with a twist. Uh, I mean, by the time we're recording this, it's not really official yet, but it will be when once this episode comes out. Um, there will be a revision online with satellite parties, sort of, uh, all over the place, really. We have uh, a bunch of countries already signed up for this. And I, I mean, the details will be taken care of by, uh, by the revision team shortly, but there will be a revision, yay. Yeah. That's great. It will be known when this comes when this comes out. It will be like um, specified, I hope. But what we know is that there will be officially organized satellite parties by people in different countries, and uh, we have a bunch of countries already that will have uh, parties. I think it's uh, Sweden, Finland, Portugal, Germany, France. So there is all kinds of. So you can join a small party in your own country, and then they will be connected to Revision. So we have a spread out, uh, come together party. So it will be a different once again, but closer together than it was before, which is fantastic. But that's an interesting spin, right? Yeah, it is. And I mean, you can actually take part in this yourself uh, as well. If you if you feel up like, okay, so that's in my little community, it's not limited to one satellite per country either. So it can be, uh, well, if you have a lim- limited community with, let's say, 10, 20 people that you want to make a sort of a satellite party, that can also be an o- official satellite to revision. Yep. So it's uh, just uh, ping the revision uh, staffers and then they'll help out. Be part of the global, like, spread out of revision parties all over the world. And it seems like a very smart idea to, like, instead of having to do it all in Saarbrücken with everybody, make it spread out so people can use their own country's guides and codes and whatever is 
happening rule-wise in your own country so you know that you do it right for your country and we can still be together. Albeit somewhat spread, but it gets closer and closer every year. Yeah. With countries opening, uh, like their measures, um, like now, like pretty much everyone, Germany is quite restrictive still. Um, would you have gone or attended the party if it was if it was physical over there? Or what or do you? What's your two cents on that? Because I, I wouldn't have made it, but still, not really because of the the pandemic situation, but more time wise. But what about because it, it's really open? <laughs> no, I think it's, it's really yeah. Well, it is okay, but um, no, no, no. But it's like what well, a pandemic, fuck the pandemic. Yeah. Like I just don't have time. No, to but vision. I mean, we have, gentlemen, we have just, no, we have just <laughs> opened like pretty much everything in Switzerland right now, yeah. and it really feels close to normal again. So I think if there was an event, I would have actually participated if it was in Switzerland. So, so that I think is. It's it's and there will be one. There will be one in Switzerland, so you can participate there. I think. Yeah, I think um, it was like I signed up in the in the survey. We have some interesting survey data as well. But I signed signed up was like I'll definitely go. And as soon as I signed up, I was like, but will I? Like, let's see how it develops. <laughs> and I am actually not sure if I would have gone if they would have done it in Saarbrücken, even though I was super sure of like, no, I have to go to revision this year. It has to happen. Um, but that was interesting. We have some interesting numbers indeed that it was like we had like um, about 600 replies from 40 countries on that survey about like what would you be comfortable with because that's what they had to figure out. Like can we put this up for people? Do they feel comfortable? It's the most important thing that the people themselves feel comfortable going. So but that's uh, 47%, not much, right? 47%. Yeah, I was comfortable with going. 20% was, 20 was torn and 33% were wouldn't come. 95% would be okay to show proof of vaccination. So there was like a really strong of like, do it safely, that's fair. Mm. Uh, but then um, more than 40% would not be comfortable wearing an FFP2 mask, the entire party. So it is a struggle there. And I think only 43% would definitely attend. And I guess that for revision, it is also like a gamble then of like, okay, so if we put this up for a big group and then people are not comfortable coming, then we shouldn't do it. And I think that is the struggle every event will have this year and hopefully not very long but it's that you can put it up but and it's awesome if people come but you have to keep that in account so uh, i think so I, it, it, I think it's a good decision overall if you look at particularly if you look at these numbers i mean if only 43% would definitely attend that's like a risky risky project yeah. for the organizers to take on and i would probably have decided the same way because by now you would have made a decision on whether you take the risk financially as well and book the location and all that. So, Yeah, is it, is it worth it for if only like less than half the people show actually, actually show up? And I think that is the question for all the events. Like I hope, and I think we've seen events starting to pop up, but in the countries like smaller events of like we are organizing in real life again. I mean, definitely underground conference will happen. Evoke is doubling in that of like maybe will happen. So I think that's a good start of like, okay, let's first do these and then major international events let's wait a little bit uh, touch the water but i'm i'm happy that they did this and they had the survey to kind of feel the water and listen to everybody um so let's see what happens and if there is a satellite party in the netherlands let's see if i can go and then be with my friends a little bit and maybe you can travel to another satellite party if you can travel between those countries who knows what we can do like so that's you can decide as well of like hey helsinki might have a really cool satellite party i'll go to helsinki 
<laughs> and I mean, it wasn't an easy decision either way. Uh, they they've actually done their work thoroughly uh, with with the the survey, but also, I mean, there have been discussions for quite some time whether to do it or not, and the pros and cons. And yeah, and I mean, at this point, I I was one of the thirty three percent said no, definitely because well. Due to both the pandemic and my real life situation at the moment, I wouldn't be able to attend anyway. So, um, but I'll happily try to attend uh, a satellite party. I'm gonna sort of part uh, organize one here in Stockholm as well. Yeah, and it kind of makes sense being a seen satellite kind of guy as well with the, <laughs> with a son that actually has the name Sputnik as well. So yeah, yeah, that's there you go. So this is actually so actually this is actually opened up uh, a lot of actually is there. But this <laughs> opened up where you went from I'm not going to I might go to the satellite party in Sweden, which is a win. So I think yeah. that's a really good like it's a really good idea to have these small gatherings that still feel like a party. And don't worry, I feel, I, I'm sure that in a while we'll all be together in Saarbrücken, yeah. in the EVAC, and it will be just as messy as before. I think, Sifford, <laughs> you can admit now that this is all a scene satellite kind of thing, that the PR <laughs> stunt that you're doing over there for <laughs> so conspiracy. to promote the scene Yeah, side. it's a complete conspiracy, I, I confess. I, I've been pulling the strings behind the scenes all over this not really, but but still, yeah. <laughs> so we got that solved. Thanks. Yeah, yep, of course, of course. <laughs> All right, so that's revision. And then let's talk about uh, maybe a demo party, an online demo party, with probably the most entries at a party ever. I don't know if you heard, but Love Bite happened and had about like 400 entries. Like it was an insane amount of part- and entries uh, in all the competition. Did you guys see anything of it? To be honest, no. But uh, I actually saw two, but I don't remember which ones those were. But um, you certainly have, okay. I, I I I kind of had forgotten about it because also real life, but then it was a happy surprise that it was happening, and it was a very nice, very wholesome party. Uh, lots of good entries for DOS, um, mm. but also other platforms like Atari and uh, Tick Eighty and uh, and all those fancy consoles. That it was like a lovely, wholesome vibe of people. So many entries in the compost and really. Good stuff because as we talked to Super Rogue about size coding and how difficult it is to sometimes get what is happening for stuff that I didn't understand. It was just amazing to watch people just making fantastic stuff in these small sizes. And the Beat Byte um, music competition, um, which I think kind of ties into a little bit maybe into what we're going to talk about next, but was surprisingly cool. That was the first time that a music compo in the Beat Byte, which is 256 characters code to generate music. And you think, how many bleeps can you generate? Well, there was a few very interesting, very cool entries. And we even got Rick rolled. So, um, uh, so that was that. Uh, no, it was a really uh, fun party. And I hope that the size coding community and people are getting more interested in that, looking at it. Like it shows that there is a lot to still do there. And it was a fun thing. Actually, I, have, I feel guilty now, so I have to catch up because we had the size coding talk last time. So apologies to the whole community in that area. Yeah, there was like so many, the compo for it was a graphics, it was like 60 entries, I think. It was like, it was insane how many entries they got. Uh, and really good ones as well, like the 16 bytes, 32 bytes. You're like, okay, what can you do in these sizes? And then insane stuff people can do insane stuff why do you think they had so many entries in that particular because it was not that i mean you didn't have that many 
entries in the past in those composts? I think it was kind of, I think it's this, it was like the thing that happened and size coding is growing and as Super Rogue explained as well, like a lot of people are dabbling in it. What also was really fun actually, and you can look it up, I think it's on YouTube, is they had a bunch of videos asking questions to a, a group of size coders like why are you doing this and what like very these questions of like why are you not making a bigger production together why are you just all these making these small programs and what their their drives were and it was really cool to see there's people like wanting to add and it is it gives you like you're a bit faster you can make mm. more things but also some people work really long on certain entries that are just a few bytes like we talked about it in the last yeah. episode how long have you work to get that last bite off and it can be like weeks to like do something again and there were there was an entry that was 23 years in the making that somebody started and now just finished and um no it was a very interesting and yeah especially those like they had a bunch of seminars a bunch of like explanations of size coding and those questions of like gosh like these are the questions that people will ask so i looked those up definitely if you haven't seen them because yep. it gives you a great insight and a lot of the well-known and, and lesser well-known but like size coder community people participated in mm -hmm. answering these questions so you get a good insight on like what that mindset is okay. even more than we had before but cool. just make sure you don't take 23 years until your cables entry is going to be finished. no i uh, <laughs> promise that uh that i again revision maybe not but who knows after that i already got some people reaching out to me for help so don't worry it's a lot of stuff <laughs> happening in my in my personal <laughs> life but after that i'll be focusing on this <laughs> and also, I mean, Evoke is the cables party, really, because of Pander and, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Evoke and Deadline, like, yeah, they're both parties that it's heavily featured <laughs> as it's a brilliant company. Yep. But yeah, shout out Pander or shout out Cables. And it was completely overhauled as well. Like, I think they did it. And they do it. I mean, it's a fantastic, I mean, their Discord, it's a fantastic community. So I kind of feel bad having, having gotten around to it yet, but I'll come <laughs> soon. Good, good. You're on the plane for some time now, so you can work on that then. <laughs> yeah, I'm traveling after this episode, so we need, like, I'll bring my laptop on the plane. No, no, I don't think that will be a very nice environment to to uh, to make something. But no, let's see. But I think that's, 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 is there anything else that we should mention in this opening section? Is there anything no, else? I think uh, so we should dive right into the interview, right? Yes. Into it. And now it's time for our guest uh, for this month. Uh, and uh, we have a very special guest because he is not a demo scener, uh, but he is uh, in a scene adjacent to the demo scene. It would be very interesting to talk to people that are like-minded and who knows what might happen if we mingle. Uh, so our guest <laughs> this week is uh, Alex, also known as Yaksu, a researcher in the field of algorithmic patterns. Uh, he's a musician and a coder and probably best known for coining the term and being a key figure of algo raves. Um, and a developer of Tidal Cycles, a tool for live music coding. So it all sounds incredibly demo scene -y, so we should definitely talk to him. So welcome, Alex. So welcome, yeah. Hey, nice to meet you. Um, how are you doing? Good to have you. Thanks. We're doing good. So I'm, I'm here with Alex and Axel, so this will absolutely not get confusing. No, I no, apologize no. in advance. <laughs> um, but yeah, welcome. And just to kick it off, like, can you explain to us what are algo raves? What is this all about? Yeah, uh, there's different ways into this, really. Um, I suppose from a demo scene perspective, it's pretty much like the live coding you guys have. Um, people on stage writing code. Um, 
the focus is on people dancing in an owl grave, uh, at least in the ones I like to organise. Um, so it's people writing code in various different languages, most, um, well, some to make music, some to make visuals, um, often in a club or in a festival, um, and people enjoying it. Um, we project the screens, just like you do in, uh, in your compos, and, uh, uh, and so people can see what's happening. Um, but uh, I th- I th- maybe at the start of the night, people uh, are sort of standing in rows looking at this code that's appearing, but by the end of the night, they're not paying too much attention to it. It's, it's more just like uh, how something is being done, but what's really happening is that music is being made and people are enjoying themselves. Um, but yeah, I guess uh, the name is a sort of uh, combination of the word algorithm and rave so that is maybe an easier way of uh, explaining <laughs> we kind of we kind of figured as much that it will probably be a combination of that so so you you're, you are aware of the demo scene i uh, i hear yeah yeah um so i've never been to a um meet what do you call them? A demo party. party. A party. A party, <laughs> yeah. Party. I've never been to a demo party. simple folk. We just go on a party. <laughs> Some of my friends have and sort of told me about these amazing events. Um, my friend Dave Griffiths, who I collaborate with a lot and have for a long time, um, used to live in Finland and uh, is sort of computer games programmer. So, And, and he's done sort of musical live coding, um, audiovisual live coding, I think at Assembly. Um, yeah, and you can't get I've, away from it in Finland. Like it's everywhere. Like yeah. everybody's a demo scene in Finland. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah definitely uh, got the idea that it's a sort of a Nordic pastime, um, and so yeah. I but I've never sort of I've, I've met people from the Cookie Collective. Um, I've, I've met Floppine briefly, who's right. uh, you interviewed a few episodes yeah. ago. Um, yeah, so I don't know too much. So. Uh, yeah, what, how would you describe the demo scene? Well, let's, let's before we get to the demo scene, let's first talk about Algorage because that's new for okay. us, and we have we have no idea. <laughs> so you you program the music. This is a, a a club night, I should say. So it's less about watching like we do in our live battles, where you watch the people code and we cheer them on, and it's kind of like a like a boxing match. Is this more like a club night where people? But then programming music. What kind of music do you program? So many questions. Yeah, so many questions. <laughs> I guess it depends. I mean, I guess. It's not really. It's not competitive, um, and there's not really an end goal. It's not like we're making something like um, it, it. When when uh, when I live code, I like to go from scratch, just from a blank screen. Um, but then at the end of the performance, I always have a blank screen. So the idea isn't to like um, code something and then finish with a something which you can then share. It's it's more like the actual development of of the code is the music itself so you build it up right the code builds up in complexity and so does the music um and then you reach a peak and then you start deleting bits and sort of spacing it out and then uh, eventually you slim the code down and then so so what i'm trying to say is the actual coding itself is the actual music uh right right so you and then what kind of programming language do you use what kind of music does it produce i guess i hear you came up with it listening to happy hardcore yeah that's right <laughs> yeah happy hardcore is what i grew up with um i guess a lot of that stuff that early happy hardcore stuff comes from trackers right um yeah it was a big part of it yeah um but yeah uh so yeah uh, 
It, it depends, really. I mean, Algrave isn't really a genre. Um, rave, I guess, is a genre, although it, it sounds differently depending on where you are. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I like making techno. Other people make stuff that's a bit more kind of glitchy, IDM-y. It tends to be quite broken in different ways, like... Um, uh, the kind of improvisational aspect of it means that um, there's a lot of mistakes that happen. So it's not like uh, clean music. It's like rough. Yeah. Um, but then surprises happen all the time. So, um, but yeah, so people jump, jump around genres or they just uh, work whatever genre they like, whether it's uh, dubstep or um, techno or um, footwork or whatever. Um so, yeah, that's one of the nice things about our grave, I think, is that any one night you'll hear all, all different flavours of music and, and and all kinds of stuff mixed together. Um, and that's it's, kind it's, of, it's, yeah. It already confuses me that you actually can decide on shores or on when you're programming. So like, I would be just happy if some sound comes out of it in the end overall, but you even program in certain shores. So maybe you can explain a bit first before we dive into these things. What is your background on, on how you came across the idea of doing um, these algorithms? Yeah, so... I guess it happened around the year 2000. My friend Adrian Ward um, was uh, doing this uh, course at university where he was learning about generative music, sort of writing code to make music. Um, and we just thought, why don't we form a band where we just write all the software ourselves? Um, and sort of, uh, we're sort of in inspired by people like Orteca, um, kind of uh, Sheffield bleep sound. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, so that's what we. Did and, and we just thought, well, why don't we project our screens so people can see what we're doing? Like around the year 2000 wasn't the idea of a programmer being creative. I mean, of course, the demo scene would be alive and well at that point. But um, Always yeah. an outlier. So, yeah, no, I get what you mean. <laughs> yeah, it, I, I think uh, in, in general culture, general musical yeah. culture, people wouldn't really see computer programming as being a creative activity. So we thought, let's show what we're doing as programmers, project our screens while we're performing. Um, and this was stopping and starting Perl scripts in my case and sort of having these weird interfaces. I don't know if you remember Perl. Um, yes. It was pretty big at the time, sort of first internet boom. Because <laughs> um, I was just wondering, like, how are you making sound? Like, what are you coding? Are you soft synthesizing? Are you using scripts? To, are you triggering samples? Are you... Um, at the start, it was really sample-based, like Adrian... Um, made a little sampler that you wrote in C and we were just triggering sounds and making effects. Um, he he was sort of making different interfaces in a system called Real Basic as well as Perl. So we were just checking all kinds of things together. Um, but that, they were the, sort of the early days when we weren't even really live coding. Um, but then Adrian started getting the idea that why doesn't he just start writing the code during the performance? And then we got in touch with other people, just met up with people who were doing similar things. There was something in the air, like around the year 2001, there were people like Renata Weisser and um, Julian Roruba in uh, Hamburg and Nick Collins in Cambridge in the UK and Go Wang in, in the States who were, all had this kind of same idea at the same time, really. Why don't we just, just start coding to make music? Um, but yeah, but skipping forward a bit, I mean, at this point, I generally make... Uh, music in Haskell to answer your question. Um, so this is like a pure functional programming language. Yes. Um, 
and uh, I made a sort of domain specific language embedded in it called uh, Tidal Cycles, which is free open source software. Now a really kind of healthy open source project with loads of people using it around the world. Recently we did an online stream with people um, doing a performance every half hour and that lasted sort of three days non-stop. So it's, it's a really kind of vibrant online community and as well as sort of in-person sort of uh, performances that happen. Um, but yeah, there's loads of different systems like I use Haskell, other people use a system called Foxdot, for example, for, which is based on Python. Um, there's another system called Hydro, which is for visuals that's all JavaScript based. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, we've, we've, we've had Hydro in semi Shader Showdown, I remember. Yeah, that's um, awesome. Yeah, Olivia Jack made that system. So. Yeah. So your so, your background mostly is a, as a, as a coder, of course. But how much do you think the musical aspects are? I mean, you need to be able to imagine what sounds you create with what you're programming. How how is that? How does that work? Um, do you have a mathematician's sort of background, or or would you say anyone can approach this, or is that something that really tech people should be approaching, or what do you think? Yeah. I so I, I yeah I have a like real coder background like uh, I sort of um, got into this stuff during the first internet boom as a um, as someone who was employed in a company doing web stuff with Perl I started making music okay. with it but um, but I think nowadays most people come at live coding as musicians or visualists um, I think it's really broadened out so. Um, uh, but yeah, I think in terms of musical imagination, for me, that's what's great about code is that um, it, it's, it's like a creative support tool. Like I tried to play the guitar when I was young and I I could play, I could strum, I could play chords, I could I could play Wild Thing by the Trogs, if you know that track. <laughs> um, and But I never got beyond that. I could never make my own music and I found it really frustrating and stopped. Um, but then when I started making music with code, um, I found that it becomes more like a craft then. Like, um, it's not like you start with an imagination about what music you want to make. It's more that you come up with this sort of rhythm of some kind that you type in, but then you start transforming it with functions. Like you might um, sort of say every third repetition, shift it backwards in time a little bit mm. or take these two rhythms and combine them with some, some other functions and then you get this really surprising result. So it becomes really sort of playful um, and, the, and it's more like working with the code as an interface for music, but this kind of weird interface that's always surprising you. Um, so yeah, it just becomes this really exploratory approach to music. I think is um, is that because it's you you you're not sure what might at one point you know what happens when you type in code, but it sounds really live. Like I love that aspect of it. As you said, like I start with a blank screen, I end with a blank screen. The performance is my piece, and I don't have to keep it. I don't have to save it. What I played is what I played, and you can you reproduce it when you played it? Is it something that is so freeform that it just like Otaker, I've been to an Otaker show and that yeah. is just, it feels like very randomly generated. I love that whole aesthetic of the, the pitch dark hall and the bar is yeah. closed and it's just an hour 
yeah. demolishing their sound. <laughs> is, it, is, it, is, it, is it like for you as well? Like you make something and it's gone and you can never do it again? Or is there? do you have songs you play? <laughs> I, I think it's a mix. Um, like I have certain things which, some, some things which I've come up with during performance really work well. And I've remembered it and used it on the again. Um, but that's pretty rare. Um, but I've got certain things I fall back on that work well together. Um, sort of certain vocal samples which I slice up and then shift um, backwards and forwards in time, and and uh, have this function called chunk, which um, it will sort of take um, a fraction of um, a, a sort of rhythmic cycle and apply a function to that. And then shift along the next repetition. It'll shift along to the next chunk of it. Um, and if you do, if I do that with a certain sample where it's speeding it up, sort of pitch shifting the sound, um, it just sounds fantastic. Um, and so I do that quite often with a certain melody. Um, it's an MIA sample. It's really good. It's very sample based still as well. You still have a set of samples. You know, like these will work well when I maim them with my codes, basically. Yeah. Yeah, um, although Tidal, so there's this really nice system called Superdirt made by Julian Roruba, my friend, who, um, and, and this is sort of the sound engine for Tidal. So Tidal doesn't make sound itself, it's just like the pan mm. engine. Um, and then Superdirt is the sort of sound engine. And that, that's, it's really great for sample mashing, but also it has loads of synths in. I mean, it's based on Super Collider, which is a whole. Um, ecosystem of um, amazing uh, synthesis unit generators. So it's like it's its own like massive um, uh, DSP digital sound processing, I think, uh, <laughs> system. Which and people just use that for live coding sometimes, just like actually live coding the synthesis. Um, uh, for example, Shelly Knotts is sort of. Uh, really makes this really kind of grungy noisy techno just by doing this really low level synthesis and it just sounds amazing and different every time like when Orteca show it's just uh, yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> so we're gonna have approaches. a whole list of names and programs with yeah. this podcast right when listening to this one find all these things it sounds incredibly interesting and it sounds like indeed something that the demo scene scene should know like it's from another dimension like it's exactly the same stuff but it's like it so I'm a tracker and I work with a few DAWs now but I've been this like rusted shut tracker and it sounds completely like I don't I can't grasp it I don't I can't form it in my head what you mean so I kind of try to follow but it sounds fantastic Axel yeah. what, do you, what do you want to ask yeah, just I wanted to be a bit more on the surface first like to just I can understand this completely I mean I saw your TED talk on this um, for everyone who wants to look it up by Alex McLean uh, check out that TED talk you give a very good um, insight there on how you work so basically how I understood it was that it's it's a bit of um, like a DJ set for a given time frame, but you work on that like from scratch and program everything. So all the sound comes out from, from your programming uh, and and that makes the set. But how, how, usually how long does such a set take? Yeah, difficult. So live coding is pretty hard work. Um, I find that if I'm solo, I think about 30 minutes, 40 minutes is pushing it really. Um, but then sometimes you just get in the flow and can keep going. Um, but I really enjoy collaborating with people um, and then you're just sort of bouncing off each other 
Um, often I collaborate with percussionists or people using other electronic music interfaces. I've got a collaboration uh, called Class Compliant Audio Interfaces, CCAI. Um, with my friend Sam Shorb and he um, often just plays the drum machine so and then we could just do that forever for days I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine yeah <laughs> kind of having this layer of really nicely sculpted um, rhythms on on the TR uh, what is it the TRA and then um, just dropping strange coded stuff on top it's really fun but basically those are like concerts or that how do you i mean how where do i find you if i want to check out these things i mean is there do you have events that take place in a certain regularity that you can attend or how do you go about these things yeah so in in normal times uh we would have like our grave is like an unprotected thing anyone can put one on and there would be one most weekends somewhere in the world um, and you can go to ourgrave.com for listings. There, obviously, in the last couple of years um, during the pandemic, uh, there have been less of these things. But um, uh, next month in March, um, oh, I'm not sure when this is going out, but in March 2022 um, is going to be the uh, 10th anniversary of Algrave. So I think there will be a few more than normal going on, sort of uh, as we start opening up a bit more. And we're going to have one in London on the 31st of March, for example. Um, there's going to be quite a few around Europe. Um, and yeah. And this is a community that is worldwide or is that a more Europe-based thing? Or how would you describe that? How large is that community? Yeah, definitely a worldwide community. So there's like Algrave. There's also TopLap. Uh, you can go to toplap.org. Um, which is obviously laptop mixed up a bit. <laughs> um, it stands for the Transnational Organization for the Promotion of Live Algorithm Programming. Um, that's so a lot of people, live coding isn't just about um, uh, dance music, people use it for other stuff as well. And so Top Lap's the kind of older and more general organization. Um, and there's like top lap, top lap nodes all around the world, I think about 30 or 40 now. Um, our grave has happened in hundreds of different cities around the world. I'm not sure um, how many so far, but yeah, there's definitely been yeah uh, uh, maybe a couple of hundred different cities. Um, I think that there's a really strong scene around Europe um, and also in uh, America. Um, like in North America, Mexico City was like, I think actually the first live coding community that was sort of geolocated. Um, like there's always been a strong scene in Europe, but it's been a case of there being like one or two live coders in each city, um, at least for the first few years. But Mexico City is where they had like regular workshops and built up this really nice scene. Um, also, there's loads, I was lucky to go um, on tour to... Tokyo, so I can say that um, it's pretty big in Japan as well. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah, really nice uh, scene there. And uh, yeah, um, lots in Germany. Karlsruhe is where we're going to have the next big live coding conference, um, which is like a mixture between sort of academic conference and a festival. Um, that's going to be a ZKM um, around uh the end of 2022 they haven't set a date yet um so yeah there's all kinds of things um netherlands has got a really strong scene as well netherlands live coding live and yeah 
Okay. Yeah, we've, we've, we've dabbled a little bit with Shader, our Shader showdown with the live coding scene from the Netherlands as well. Oh, nice. It's bizarre that it's kind of like so separate because I've never really run into it. And it sounds like we should have this at a demo party, like something on the ravey sounds because we do our competitions with the Shader Shadow. And that's the other aspect of it, the competitive aspect. Do you do you do you preserve the music? Is it recorded? Um, I, yeah. So the first kind of five years I was doing this, I was really kind of against recording anything, and I really regret that because there's like a whole part of my life. <laughs> why? Just why were you like, against it? Why? Why were like, you so against it? Yeah, was it because it, just, it had to really, be that moment? <laughs> yeah, it's just about improvisation, just being in the moment, and uh, yeah. Um, so that's kind of lost. But then now I made this little editor called FeedFord, which records every key press with a timestamp, so I can replay everything. <laughs> can replay because that's that's the other that's the opposite of the demo scene. It's all about preservation, all about having the programs and, yeah. then, and the, comp- the competition aspect as well, which I think is also not really is more a performance, I guess, the algorithms than what we do with the competition aspect. Yeah, yeah. He didn't want to have his sins recorded uh, and timestamped as the much as much as we do. <laughs> our old our old deeds will always resurface. Yeah, everything will never get rid of it. Like never the way with. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. I mean, the good thing about all these online streams happening is that if you stream something on YouTube, it tends to archive it. So um, if you go to Eulerroom dot. Uh, Euler Room, yeah, the Euler Room YouTube channel, which is spelt E-U-L-E-R-R-O-O-M. Um, there's like loads and loads, like hundreds and maybe thousands I don't know, of different performances. Um, so you can get around around the world. taste, yeah. Um, but it sounds like you, the community is pretty big, right? I mean, do you, ha- yeah. do you have a, any estimate of how many people are involved in that scene? Not really, because it's so decentralized. Like, um, as I say, we haven't protected anything. Like, anyone can put on an hour grave, and, and they do, and sometimes don't tell anyone else, you know. So <laughs> um, it's, it's really hard to tell. And even my software, I don't have a way, really, of finding out how many downloads there are. Um, we, we do have these international conferences, and, and maybe 100 or so turn up to that. So it's not absolutely massive. Um, I think it's just spread out around the world. And of course, there'd be loads of people who don't come to those conferences. Um, and this, and also this live coding stuff, it's it's done by people who wouldn't necessarily call themselves live coding as well. Like um, some well-known musicians are starting to use them, uh, use live coding software. Just it's, it's kind of dispersing into just another way of making music, really. So it's, people aren't necessarily associating with the community and order to uh, do live coding it's sort of which is quite nice i think <laughs> so you would say it's an individual thing in the end still you don't socialize that much in those events with others or the community itself is that more is that more a thing you do on your own at those events or um not me no i, I really really enjoy organizing events and getting people together like um uh, our graves, I guess, are all about celebrating live coding and, and sort of building up a community around it. And uh, in Sheffield, we have this thing called Tidal Club, where we hang out and sort of write Tidal code together and give each other tips and stuff. Uh, Tidal is short for Tidal Cycles, by the way. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's, um, yeah, there's definitely a really strong community, um, but it's also nice seeing how how these tools and techniques are sort of spreading beyond it. Um, yeah. Is, is, is the programming step 
easy enough because you're talking to two demo scene musicians who yeah. are afraid of coding because coding is really hard. So for us, it <laughs> sounds like programming, that, that's magic. Is, is, is it because of these tools it's easier to get into? Oh, yeah. I think the hardest thing with Tidal Cycles is getting it installed. But once you've done that, because um, <laughs> it's like getting all these dev tools installed, um, it's yeah. really annoying. I really need to get a proper installer. But once you've done that, it's really easy. I just really enjoy running workshops often with kids as well. Like I've had like um, groups of eight-year-olds um, live coding together. I do this thing called the algorithmic drumming circle where I get eight kids to sit in a circle, each with their own speaker and, and a little Raspberry Pi computer. And oh, can get them making that sounds adorable. Together. Yeah, it sounds awesome. <laughs> that sounds fantastic. Yeah, and they make the most amazing sounds. They're really into noise, I find, eight-year-olds. That's like proper talent management for the, for the yeah. future community. <laughs> but yeah, it only takes them like uh, 10 minutes to start making music together, and, and by the end of the hour, they've sort of recorded a piece of music together. So yeah, it's totally... And that's, and that's what you do, record that, and then they can take it home, and then you made this together with your friends. That sounds incredibly yeah, awesome. That, I love that, it. that little project, I actually, um, yeah. it was for an art exhibition, and I had them projected on the floor. Uh, like I had a top-down camera on them and then projected that on the floor with, and then played back the sounds they were making. Um, so it's, yeah, so <laughs> they were, they I were the this. exhibit. That's cool. <laughs> Yeah, so it's really about, and especially about that figuring it out. Like as you said, like you have a few tricks you do, but it's mostly about like ex accidents, I guess, bugs. Is that a part? Glitches are part of the performance. Yeah, totally. I think for me, when I really enjoy performing, when I'm actually learning something myself. Um, so what I really like doing is just adding one extra function to tidal cycles before a performance. Um, and because in Tidal, any function can be used with any other, it's just like each function is a certain way of transforming a pattern into another pattern. And so it's really easy to chain these things together. So if you add a new function, it sort of freshens up all the other ones and there's all these different combinations, like a combination or explosion of possibilities of, of uh, how you use this new function with other stuff. Um, and, and that for me is really, but when, when I just using a function, I know it's going to work and do something interesting, but I just don't know what. It's just the most exciting thing. <laughs> I, I to understand like, that, right? So just for, for the record. <laughs> <laughs> As I was saying, it's a shame that it's a podcast because we're in video recording this and I'm just here nodding my head. But I'm just like, I have <laughs> yeah. no idea what it's right. like. I try to follow because it's such a different way in how we perceive music. And yeah. that's what I love. It's the live aspect is the music. Uh, do you also make music using a like a regular doll? Like, do you make music in Ableton as well? Or is it just pure live music for you? Just, just just live coding for me, yeah. I mean, Tidal, you can use it with Ableton Live, um, and people do that. It has MIDI um, capabilities, so, um, but yeah. Uh, Piano It's stuff, not what you're looking right. for. It's not what you're looking for. You're looking <laughs> no. for that coding experience. <laughs> like I said, I sort of started off wanting to make everything um, with my own code, and that's kind of stayed yeah. with me, that sort of enjoyment of uh, having, understanding everything that's going on. Um, knowing everything it. about the code. And you said that there was also visuals involved sometimes. How are the visuals created? Is it live as well within the music? Is it synced? Is it triggered? Is it... Um, it really depends. Like some people will do both themselves and sort of make a system where they're triggering visuals at the same time as triggering sounds and sort of creating this, um, this thing where, yeah, 
there, there's this t- tight correspondence between both. Uh, I think most often the sort of VJs, video jockeys are working in their code to make their visuals and the musicians are working with their code to make music. And uh, sometimes there's like the um, visuals would be audio reactive. Yeah. Um, But then that's a bit of a shame because the music then isn't reacting to the visuals. I think it's nice to think about these things as sort of more collaborations between visualists and musicians and find ways of collaborating in a more equal way. Um, but that's sort of a general issue. And <laughs> you could make a demo. <laughs> it's basically yeah, that is that collaboration <laughs> of visuals and sound. And we love ourselves from syncing. Like, I mean, that is like the visuals and the music. A good demo is nothing without the soundtrack and vice versa. Like, it is really that what started as the just the tune in the background for the programmer to show his effects off to his friends yeah, has now yeah. become this this really closely knit together like a a good demo can stand or fall with the soundtrack and it's like so that's really interesting of like because we have shader um jams where we just have a dj set and then a bunch of shader coders shading coding effects and then just like they don't necessarily have to sync Mm. and and it's lovely to have just like all these effects happening but when it syncs everybody goes like ah yeah (laughs) no. <laughs> it's just that, that little dopamine hit that but it works and I can imagine that as well mm. but yeah no, it sounds yeah, bizarrely similar and also completely different and I think mm. I have the feeling we should just mix these scenes together yeah. somehow <laughs> I was wondering is there, is, is there any sort of framework um, regarding like, rule, a set of rules that you need to stick to when you're doing these things or um it depends again, like in, I mentioned the scene in Mexico City. Um, Which is funny were, by itself to hear that a scene in Mexico City that we're uh, not Mexico used City's to. It's a great all. creative hub. It's a huge creative hub. Yeah, yeah. Right? yeah, the, yeah I think it's something around the Autonomous University there. They have this, um, uh, what's it called? Anyway, they, they, they just had lovely workshops there and built up the scene. But they, they had this thing where they, um, you had to create um, a performance inside, I think it was seven minutes. Um, so, and, and then, um, <laughs> yeah, there'd be, there'd be a randomizer which would choose who would go on next. Um, that's more so, arsties. That's more like this pressure and just like, yeah. kind of like limits that we set, just arbitrary limits because you can. Like. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I've recently come across the size coding community. Uh, which uh, just so inspired by actually. Um, we just talked about Love Bite. I don't know if you caught a bit of Love Bite. Happened last weekend when we yeah. recorded this. So you know when we record this, but uh, <laughs> more than around 400 entries in 16 bytes, 32 bytes intros, and people do fantastic stuff. It's incredible. Given the limits, and that's what that's the demo scene gives arbitrary rules and limits to burden creativity to then make it more creative break use those rules to your advantage basically like make it hard i don't know yeah. why we do it but that <laughs> sounds like our speed like seven minutes and then we flip and then you have to go you have seven minutes you better make it worthwhile like that sounds yeah, yeah. Or a given set of sounds that you can work with i mean if you say you're slicing it up and, and putting it forward backwards whatever and and then could you could have a certain set of samples or instruments or whatever and then you could play with that in a certain time frame then we're pretty close to 
Shade Showdown. The Lucas Demofying Demofying Algo Raves. Well, welcome yeah. to our podcast where we assimilate you. That into was our theme. agenda. Was but in that, a fun way. Was that exactly? So. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's a really nice idea. I think that's it, it is a problem, isn't it? When you have code, it's just so open to possibility that you, at some point, you, there's just too much possibility and you can't really do anything. So if you can limit things then you really kind of have something to push against. Um, and that's what, yeah, what we like see, yeah. Yeah. yeah that's <laughs> what we see when we have too much open. So we, as old man talked about trackers, like we don't understand DOS because you can do everything. So we stick to our 16-bit samples. Because are you aware of the tracker scene and how that works? Because it's a really open format that's very editable. and uh, Well, even soft synths that are must, must be pretty close to what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. Before I got into live coding, I did a bit of sequencing and a bit of tracking. Um, I think. What was your tracker? I think it was Fast Tracker Two. Would it be? Very good. What was the song name? So we can find that. <laughs> I don't know if I released anything. Uh, my friend A did. Who I was collaborating with his lab, but. All um, oh, right, you were. Because there's also a feud between the, the different trackers. Yeah, Fast Tracker and Impulse Tracker, and so it was like which tracker and a Fast Tracker. That's my camp. And oh, okay. then I was like, Impulse Tracker is better. There was <laughs> like arbitrary fights between different kinds of software. Yeah, I mean, one thing I have seen which was amazing. Do you know Go to Eighty? Yes. And uh, so he, I organized this festival called Algamec in Sheffield, um, bringing together people doing algorithmic music and mechanical art, sort of systems based um, art, basically, whether you're making robots or writing code. Um, and he came with his collaborator, Jakob Remin. Um, had a Commodore 64 on stage. Well, actually, there were two Commodore 64s on stage, one which he was tracking. Um, he, he's got a live tracker, so it's pretty close to live coding. Um, and on the other Commodore 64, there was a robot that was programming. <laughs> so it's like Anders one side and this robot arm tapping away on this com Commodore 64 on the other. And, uh, yeah, people were totally mad for it. That was an algorithm, actually. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so there has been these little kind of... Uh, as these individuals who have sort of bridged these scenes. Fantasy, to... Yeah, go to Eddie is like he's incredible, like his music, but everything he does is like exploding mind of creativity. Yeah, so, so I, like I can the see him. Releases. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, finding finding that scene because that's something else I can do. And um, yeah. but yeah, that sounds it sounds awesome. There's like all that kind of like using and you know, old hardware, using it live using it in the, the, the wrong way, which is also where the demo scene came from, is like we're using computers yeah. in our way, not what you want us to do, all the software is ours. Mm -hmm. Like Fast Tracker was made by a bunch of Swedes and then it was like, please pay us $10 if you like it. Just <laughs> a bunch of teenagers that kind of like try to like, and it's a fantastic tool still, and same for Impulse Tracker, by the way, if you're listening and you're an Impulse Tracker tracker, no hate, because it's still <laughs> a feud. It's 2022 and we're still mad at each other. But um, but because trackers is also because that format is so open, it's like you see the samples, you see all the notes, you can steal everything from everybody, which also gave it this distribution and learning and yeah yeah I'm sure I've got some samples in my sample library that I've taken from old mod files. Um, you should like yeah. it's it's <laughs> absolutely back in the day people were mad when you stole the samples, but now it's like no take them, <laughs> please oh, do nice. make something else with them. Yeah, I think there's that kind of spirit in live coding as well. People will often um, just put up all the samples they're using on GitHub along with uh, fragments of code. 
Um, I should say that although I really like coding from scratch, lots of other people code with pre-prepared code, like ready-made tracks and sort of manipulate them live. Um, those performances tend to be much more structured, much more kind of um, coherent, and which is obviously <laughs> good things um, in general. Um, so, and it's nice to include these different approaches in the same event for sure. But it's very open, I should say as well. I think that's the same. Although we have our secrets in yeah. the demo scene, because you want because we compete, and I think that's the biggest difference. Like the demo scene is still about competition, because of course it is, because it was founded by teenagers, <laughs> and they wanted to compete because they wanted to say I'm the best. And I don't think there is any competition aspect in algorithms. Right? It's just sharing and collaborating. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think it wouldn't. Re- yeah, I don't know. It'd be interesting to try. I mean, my friend Nick Collins once did have a competitive live coding session. Um, he'd sort of dressed up in a Mexican um, wrestler's outfit yeah. and, uh, and fought against uh, another live coder. But yeah, that's, that's only. But that's pretty notable, just because it doesn't happen very much. There's more kind of spirit of sharing and openness and sort of inclusivity. Um, but I think um, inclusivity is a big thing in the demo scene as well. And that's what days. bites each other. I guess at one point it's inclusivity and sharing, and the other hand it's like we're competing, so you can't yeah. see my stuff. And it's a very that's why we have a, we were a very weird anomaly in that kind of like we we compete at a demo party and there's a big competition and then nobody cares who wins, yeah. basically because it's just like a fantastic show. But deep down inside your dark corners of your soul, you want to be doing something better than someone else did <laughs> in Mexico City, right? I mean, you can. Yeah, admit yeah that it. is the thing where I came from. Like, I can show you, and it was like you can do eighty bops on your Amiga, I can do 81, like you can like... Yeah, I don't I I'm just listening to the interview with Floppy and it was clear that um there's something about this idea of a compo which is really kind of cultural and community owned and stuff and I I really like this. I I really like to experience it. Um yeah, yeah. It'd be great. <laughs> yeah, you should definitely like. I feel we, we. I mean, we should definitely have like on, on at a, at a demo party at one point have an algo rave and just mix these scenes because there is yeah. so much overlap of creative coding, but also creative creating because the demo scene is also more than just code. It's that like creativity with computers creating something live, and I love the fleeting aspect of it. Like it's done when it's done, and it's yeah. just gone. Like this is what we've done. To, this is what we've done today. Yeah. And Shader Showdown kind of has that same vibe where you have 25 minutes to make an effect. You can, like, memorize stuff, but you're not allowed to, like, type stuff in, and you just have to go in 25 minutes. Mm. And sometimes people prepare and they get, like, stuck in time, and that aspect makes it terrifying, but also fantastic to watch because you get that fear and that competition aspect of it. Even though you're watching two fantastic effects being created, you go like, we should win. And we've had that with the Byte Battles at Love Byte, where they do a live coding, which also has a size limit, because why not make it even more difficult? So that's in Tick 80, the fantasy console, and then you have to code an effect in 256 bytes yeah. in, in 25 minutes. And it's just really hard to judge at one point. It's just so fascinating, that stuff. Um, I, I find Byte Beat super... Interesting, and actually, I think Byte Beat is has a lot of similarities in tidal cycles how it works because I think they're both sort of about functions of time and just starting yeah. from that and building up. We had um, a code that we talked about it before in this podcast uh, before the interview about the Love Byte party had a Byte Beat music competition mm-hmm. and 256 bytes limit, and it was bizarre what people made. It was absolutely mind blowing. In that small amount of 
bites. <laughs> I, th- I think there's something really fundamental about this, actually. I think when you manage to produce so much music out of so little code, I think it's, that's telling us something about um, computing, computation. Um, I think it's to do... And, and when you see similar things, what is it, Tixieland, have you seen... Uh, it's it's like byte beat, but for graphics, where you do similar kind of byte level manipulation, and you make these incredible patterns, which just look like carpets, um, yeah. just like real textile quality. Um, and I think this comes down to what something my friend Dave says actually is that when you keep going down low enough in computing, you go low low level enough, everything becomes about patterns. Yeah. Um, and you see how we, we often, people often say, oh, weaving is really mathematical art form. Um, and I think it's the same kind of level of pattern where you're just doing these really um, low level binary uh, combination of structures um, and coming up with these um, unexpected patterns. And that's exactly what happens in weaving. Um, and it's what happens with bite beat. Um, and I th- yeah, I, d- I just love the idea that computation has been textile and that if you keep going down low enough, you end up thousands of years ago when people uh, have discovered weaving and started uh, yeah. doing mathematics in order to to make nice carpets and things. I find that, yeah. And carpets and, <laughs> and mosaics and shapes, it's always has been in us. And what is bizarre with size coding as well now is that people started with just like fractal effects and image patterns, but now we've come to the point that they have sound and narrative and, <laughs> and 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 aesthetic and and mood and you go like how can we every time you go like okay this can't go any further and then people still push it and after feeling the same goes for algorithms like is there something that happened at an algorithm that blew your mind and you were like i didn't know this was possible or this is um, next level this will change the game basically yeah it's it's difficult. It feels like it's been a really slow development and everyone has their own sound and everyone is just pushing things in different ways anyway. Um, it's hard to really pull out a particular thing. I think what has been the most exciting thing for me is the audience response, actually. Um, I mean, it's a bit funny for me because I came up with the name Algrave, so it. And, and when I did that, it didn't exist. You know, it's not like <laughs> there was this algorithm and I gave a name to it. At that point, the idea of coding for an audience of people who were dancing and having a really good time while people created music from scratch using code was impossible. I mean... <laughs> That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's it always, it's always this kind of thing where it's always been like some a nice idea um sort of an imaginary thing that could happen um but when the audience actually come and manage to find something in music and dance to it and have a world time that's when it's most exciting um and then that's happened quite a few times like having really um like advertising event people have come who've never been to an Algrave before and just ended up going crazy <laughs> so when we'd be in Corsica awesome. studios in london we had a two-room event which was really nice so we could have one room with more experimental stuff and one with the sort of more hardcore techno um and another in sheffield a place called dina similar sort of situation with two rooms and uh, just like in, yeah that's when some people were 
visiting from Japan just making this incredible, um, yeah, otherworldly music. There was in the future in Japan. I think it was, uh, um, yeah, Tadakoro who uh, we really uh, pushed that forward. But um, yeah, the, so yeah, it, it, for me, it's, it's the atmosphere, the community that that is is what most excites me about these events, and not sort of particular pull-out performances. Um, Do you have a vision or? Do you have a vision or goal that you would like to see happen at some point? I don't know. Do you, where do you see this uh, community go? Um, I, it's difficult. So once I actually managed to make an event where people were dancing um, and, and all night and having and just a series of amazing performances, that felt like um, a real achievement. But it's hard to know where to go next from that. <laughs> <laughs> you don't necessarily I, need to, right? I mean, no, I mean, that's great. More performances, uh, more performances, <laughs> yeah. maybe. This is yeah. Um, I think it's really nice when I go to events which other people organize and I don't have to worry about what happens. Um, yeah, what, what would happen next? I think he knows that. <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah. If, you, if you're an organizer and you're not an organizer for a while, you're like, I can just like be, I can just be a visitor. It's quite oh, yeah. hard, though, isn't it? When you see something's going wrong, you just. Go backstage and start trying to find a cable or something. So, yeah, <laughs> I guess that's also very similar to what we do with it, helping out. And and again, the, the, as you said, the crowd feedback is actually so overlapping because that's why we release at big parties in the competitions. Because in the end, that's all everybody watching your production. And that's mm. what it's about, showing your stuff to your friends and getting that reaction back. So that's very similar to that vibe of like making music for people and then they enjoy it or they, they are connected with it and yeah, yeah so great feeling it's really nice um it's what it's all about i think that's what it's all about if you want to do something live is having that so yeah awesome i think it would i think it would really work really well on defox if you're listening revision <laughs> 2023 definitely happening in location and i think we should have an algorithm <laughs> yeah for sure that'd be great um, one one question that I have is how much preparation do you need for for one of your performances? I mean, I would imagine it being similar with the sim the shader showdowns that you prepare certain or, or think about at least some some sort of patterns or formulas that you're trying to execute at the at the event. Or how how much preparation time do you spend on on a performance? Um, yeah. If I'm collaborating with someone, then we'll probably have some kind of rehearsal, but not necessarily. If if I'm performing solo, if I've done quite a lot of performances recently, I'll just go in and play probably um, without any preparation. Just but if I, it's been a while, then then I'll I'll do a bit of uh, rev reviewing the documentation and stuff. Um, What my friend Lucy Cheeseman, who performs as heavy lifting, does is just like pick maybe three functions that she's going to explore in a performance and maybe a few samples. So it's a bit towards your idea of really kind of limiting uh, creativity to have some... Uh, giving you thoughts. some constraints. It's, like yeah. it's, 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 it's healthy to give yourself some because else indeed you might spiral out of control and just explode into everything. Yeah. But when you say you're collaborating with someone, how does that work? I mean... Just being completely new to this, I would imagine that doesn't work if two people are typing stuff on the same screen and it sounds horrible <laughs> in the end. How, how does that work? Um, yeah, so I think this is 
Yeah, I mean, a really important part of any live coding is listening. Um, so I've spent more time listening than coding, I think, um, to try and work out what to do next. And when you're collaborating, that's even more important to listen to each other, to give space for each other, um, just to step back and, and, and let someone else that your collaborator take over is really important to give them space. Um, so you're not typing all the time. It's just kind of like make something and then... Yeah, it depends. Take I mean, so the, but there are like live coding systems made for collaboration, um, like Estuary, Fox Dot, Troop, um, where you basically share a text editor, and so it's like multiple cursors, like in a Google document, um, <laughs> and so you can that's actually so, <laughs> that's edit. Your imagination is horrible. Ter- terrifying. <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> and um, now I control A and delete everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. Um, there's some really nice bands that just practice together a lot and 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 do this sort of it's called network music. Um, so yeah, um, ever had an to... argument during a co- collaboration? They're like, oh, why do you did that thing <laughs> and typing in yeah. comments <laughs> like <laughs> destroying each other's <laughs> stuff? Uh, no, not really. I mean, only sort of uh, in jest, really. Um, but uh, I, I guess I. Like collaborating with my friends who I wouldn't necessarily have a massive argument with. It'd be pretty <laughs> no trash talk. <laughs> Might give great results if you get really mad, like halfway in, just like start messing with each other. I have great result in what the what the outcome might be. Oh, yeah, wow. yeah, maybe the audience pick up on the tension and sort of yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, give a narrative to the performance where you're falling out and making up and sort of yeah, you have a whole, a whole story to tell in an hour. Like, I, I, <laughs> Yeah, so many, so many, but so many ways where, you, yeah, so many directions you can go with this. Like you can indeed like make a set. You can start from scratch as you said, just blank, go in, and I have no idea what I will make. Mm. And I can imagine that be exhilarating to do because then it's really just for, it's a surprise for everybody, including yourself. Yeah, and that sounds amazing to do. Yeah, um, and as I said, you can also collaborate with instrumentalists. Nothing to stop you playing with. Uh, someone with a violin or a cello or a piano. Um, there's one act called OFFZZ, um, uh, Anne and Philippa, who uh, um, actually do coding with a grand piano. Um, so Anne's like a concert pianist. Um, and they've worked out a way of actually, lots of, well, lots of different ways. Um, they've like done this whole kind of art, art arts research thing where they've explored different ways in which you can code using a, an actual piano. Um, so different notes doing, meaning different things or different gestures or adding extra senses to the piano, this kind of thing. Um, so yeah, there's, it's a, there's a lot of strange performances that have gone on over the years, not necessarily in an algorithm, but um, yeah, live coding is... Uh, is there live coding prepared therapy. instruments? It sounds fantastic. Prepared it like, absolutely yeah. sounds like at least my jam. All that kind of creative... And like um, most is creative, and let's mess with things. Basically, <laughs> like let's see what happens. Yeah, but, uh, it's when the best things happen when you're just like let's just see what happens. Let's just give it a shot. <laughs> and this sounds absolutely. Yeah, it sounds amazing. So yeah, um, lots of info. And you're working mostly in research of these algorithmic things, or what is your um, background on that specifically, or how did you get to that point exactly? Um. So I kind of got into this 
Yeah, I got into research. I started as a live coder and I wanted to push it forward. So I decided to go back to university and do a research degree. And at this point, um, like my last project was like a five-year project led by Ellen Halisius Gluck in the Deutsches Museum in Munich, where I was employed as a researcher, but the project was about weaving. So um, I mentioned textiles earlier. Um, and so that's what I've been looking at is sort of the structures of weaves and how weaving relates to live coding. So I made a loom which I could actually live code. Um, so made, I made a little programming language again in um, Haskell where I could control a loom um, while weaving, um, hand weaving, but where the threads were selected with code. That's um, amazing. <laughs> what? That all sounds amazing. It's, it sounds <laughs> so incredibly like similar, to, like that same that same vibe and. Yes. I wanted to just ask the question, does it run loom? But I won't. <laughs> that, that's <laughs> like my exploding my mind. is uh, when, when I hear these things, it's like, what exactly? <laughs> What's that? This, this is what I find so fascinating, is that we think of coding as being something that maybe was invented, I don't know, um, 50 or 60 or 70 years yeah. ago, whenever it was. But um, people have always thought about discrete mathematics and mm. and made things made art using this stuff with weaving but also um with juggling that's that's all about there's this thing called site swap which is this sort of algorithmic um notation for describing juggles um and there's all kinds of historical things like divination um in uh parts of the african continent involves binary mathematics um, and uh, the more you look, the more you realise that algorithmic art is a real kind of human preoccupation that's been going yeah. on for millennia. And so I, somehow I managed to get um, some research funds uh, to lead my own project um, uh, together with uh, Dave, who I keep mentioning, uh, who's has this um, organisation uh, together with Amber in uh, Cornwall in the UK called Then Try This. And, and so we've got this money where I can just explore algorithmic patterns for the next four years, um, looking at these heritage algorithms, um, they're called, these kind of um, algorithms from craft culture and, and the arts and, and other sort of cultural practices, and look at ways in which they can inform new technology, um, including live coding music, but... Um, uh, yeah, other, other uh, all kinds of creative endeavours. I think. I mean, this is only only started this uh, in December, um, so I've only been uh, going at it for I, a couple I've, of months. But. I completely fail to understand how an algorithm has any impact on how a glass is made or how a carpet is woven. Um, but that's amazing stuff. Um, yeah, sounds, the, sounds the more you look at these, yeah. I, I suppose the classic example is is making a cake. Um, and a recipe is a kind of algorithm, a sort of step-by-step -step list of um, instructions. But when it comes to weaving, it's much more complicated. You have these machines <laughs> where you have, um, uh, yeah, you have all these different binary grids, um, basically, which interact with each other um, and produce uh, these colour effects that um, uh, 
Yeah. You don't know the complexity of my cake. I'd love to experience that. <laughs> I'm, I'm no, already no. thinking about a weaving competition. <laughs> Somehow this disc is, okay, again, demo scene, so it has to be a competition, right? So oh my God. Live weaving shader showdown. Ah, we can make this happen. It Amazing sounds fantastic. Stuff, it sounds yeah. like, yeah, it's, it's so much. Uh, thank you so much for, uh, we've been talking for a long time now, so... Do you have any specific questions about the demo scene that you'd like to have uh, answered <laughs> that we probably cannot answer, but we will try to? We will try. I suppose one thing I was wondering is, do people dance at, at demo parties? Oh, well, yes. Oki can answer that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have, uh, there's no, like a demo event is like multi-day. multi, multi day, uh, day. It used to be day and night, we're getting old, so it used to be at <laughs> night, now everybody goes to bed. Used to be 24 hours, but there is many a concert as well. And a lot of demo sceners uh, and musicians are obviously also DJs and, and producers. So definitely, and especially at bigger demo parties before bigger compo blocks, we hype mm -hmm. up the crowd with a gig and everybody will be dancing. Nice. And there's nothing better than a group of demo scene nerds all just rocking out and nobody cares. And that is the, the, the I remember people standing in front of a stage dancing, holding up their Commodore yeah. 64 like an air guitar. <laughs> and, uh, and we've had great concerts as well because, yeah, that it, it overlaps, right? All these scenes overlap. So some of the people that do demo stuff are also producers. So. Yeah, we've had great concerts. No, absolutely. And I think that is the same vibe. It's just that celebrating and enjoying and being there. Like we sit at the compost and watch, but we also party hard afterwards yeah. or before. <laughs> Usually before, to kind of wear everybody out so then we can watch five hours of demos. <laughs> it depends on which party you are. There might be tons of entries and you can sit there for a long time. So as it's got older, has it become... Uh, a generational thing like do you get families going where there are certain demo sceners now that are children of demo sceners uh -huh. participating uh there, there there have been there was a moment like a, like you need a decade ago decade and a half ago there were a lot of kids running around i remember one of the breakpoint demo mm. parties at easter having a daycare <laughs> basically like a field where it was like all the kids could play um i hope it wasn't yeah, done by seniors though <laughs> no, that was actually sensible. Actually, it's surprisingly, demo parties are surprisingly safe for kids because demo seniors are aware. Like, there's a lot of alcohol involved because as a scene, like, the social... People that sometimes find social situations difficult, so alcohol is there. Well, no, listen, less, like, everything is fine, like, basically. I'm making this a big deal, isn't But actually, <laughs> at, I've been to many demo parties where there were kids and you see people just really... Are mindful of the children. Like, be careful because mm, yeah. there are children here. So, uh, no, it's surprisingly safe. Um, but um, yeah, now we see we have some teams. There was a French demo group now where the dad is in a group and then his son started a new group and he's like, I'm going to battle you. So <laughs> there was already like a feud. So uh, it's happening. Yeah, it's when it becomes pro proper culture, isn't it? When it sort of gets passed down from one generation to the next. Yeah. I think it's super we, we see though, because it's, it's such a specific scene that it's indeed, the scene is getting older because for new people, there's so many other platforms like Algorithm, like there's so many platforms now, you can be a creative on a computer. So the demo scene in that aspect is kind of like sometimes stuck in this like, are we old school Amiga demos? Are we new technology? Are we all of it? We are all of it. Like mm -hmm. everything is there and that's what makes it fantastic. 
there's there's space for everything basically but um yeah we definitely have like we're getting older i think it's very funny that i remember going to demo parties in the 90s and it would indeed be like 24 hour full-on blasting music and party (laughs) and madness and now when you walk into the hall at revision at like four in the morning it's quiet because everybody went to bed because everybody's (laughs) old so (laughs) that is but we're still doing it and it's always fun yeah so i guess if we come to a conclusion it's that we need an algorithm at a demo party so yeah, that's, I, I mean, think we, that's we a did given. Need you, need you to come over with some of your friends to actually show us how it's done, and then we show you how it's done, and then we do it together. Yeah. I think that is the way to do it. Yeah, I think yeah, I definitely have so much to learn from this bite beat stuff and tracker stuff, and yeah, I'm yeah really excited for the future. There, this is definitely the future of Algrave. That was your question earlier, wasn't it? So, so yeah, we're going to lure you sure. into the demo scene event, and, and then, then, then likewise, I think the demo scene can use that injection of like live coding in a different way, and coding in a different way, and creative coding in a different way than mm-hmm. we are used to, because it's still of like we are the demo scene, we do this, and like really, we can also do this. Like this is also <laughs> there, so why not do all of it? Yeah, and I, I think c- that will be a fantastic thing as well to mix up. So, so before we end, because you. You mentioned many a name and many a website. What is the one, if people want to find out about Algoraves, what is the one website they should go to that we can end with? Um, well, yeah, if you search for awesome live coding, I think it comes <laughs> up with a massive list of all the different systems, um, loads of different resources that you can find. It's like the awesome list of live coding, I think it is. Right. Um, awesome list of live coding. Yeah. Okay, did you yeah. notice that the, that this is the awesome part and, and like the demos is not the awesome part. <laughs> no, we're not the awesome. We're the awesome list of live coding. Not us. <laughs> not you. And uh, and as Shana did now, but Shana will definitely go through this whole episode and write down every name and mention and link it in, with this podcast so you can find all these links. Yeah, also let us know if you have any events coming up that we can check out uh, either online or physically at some club or whatever then that always uh, remember to reach out to us that so we can we can also point to these things cool nice well thanks so much for having us on and uh yeah enjoy the rest of your weekends uh thanks shana for organizing it beautifully and Oki and axel it's great to meet you and hope to meet you in person someday soon Yep, absolutely. It was wonderful to meet you. Thank you for sharing us a little insight in your world, which is bizarrely very similar to our world and also so different. And that makes it wonderful. And I hope that who knows one day exactly. I think we can learn a lot from each other and hopefully we can together, we can be stronger. Yay! Conquer the world <laughs> like coach. Yay! Group hug. Yay! Donate now. <laughs> So that was a whole insight in a new world. What do you think, Axel? My mind is blown and I have no way of understanding how weaving and, I don't know, architecture or whatever findings of old skeletons in the deserts help with algorithmic things. But but it's uh, it's amazing how how the underlying logic works in that way so it's uh i would like definitely to uh, definitely like to see this at a party happening absolutely i love that from all the things that were like talked about the weaving part was the yeah. one that broke your brain what actually i thought for a long time whether i just understood the word weaving in the only right way and nope. if there's some I don't know, demoscenish term that is called weaving. Uh, that no I, rendering I didn't technique know. No, nope. it's about oh, a certain specific competition that is called weaving, and that I didn't know it. Uh, 
no, no it's but about, apparently... uh, about blankets and baskets definitely no i loved it and i love that it's this this kind of like bizarre like scenes that are adjacent to the demo scene are so similar in so many facets and are but existing next instead of with us is next to us so i love having this insight in that world and then getting excited how similar it is. Yeah. And hopefully we can actually have a little bit of a merge because, yeah, it feels like it's meant to be together at one point. And it's funny, isn't it, that it sounds like it's more international than the demo scene because, I mean, even though we do have an American or, I don't know, Latin American, I don't know, participants probably at some parties, but we don't have a scene that is, it seems to be more widely spread um, from what I understood from Alex, I'm not sure whether that's the case uh, in 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 numbers as well. But but it sounded like it's very international. Yeah, uh, and I think that's something that I mean the scene and the demo scene is more still Europe driven, even though you have people in America and and Japan and all that. And we're getting more and more international. I think it's, it will it might also help actually to set up events together with an Algorave event and a demo party instead of just the one. I mean, there's so much, it feels that there is so much overlap. Like it's bizarre how much of the, and that's the thing is also lovely to see is that that whole creating something digitally is transcending. Like it's, it's, it's people want to make stuff with computers and no matter how we're going to do it and especially do it wrong, like use the computer in a way it's not meant to be used. And that is transcending for the demo scene to Algorave to all kinds of coding communities uh, mm. to share your toy, which is also su surpassing the demo scene we've heard from IQ. And I love that. I think it's fantastic that no matter where, this is a drive that so many people have. And hopefully we can bring some together. Yeah, we can bring some stuff together. I think it's a huge uh, a huge opportunity to pique each other's interest of both of the communities. And, and I think that actually could lead to quite some interesting results in the end. And then we can just break some computers together. Absolutely. That seems like a great idea. <laughs> so I think we should leave it at that and go to the outro. Let's see how Ziphoid is doing. So, Algorave. Algorithm and Rave. Well, well, it's, well that's a twist. I mean, uh, this interview um, fills uh, a lot of holes in uh, my mind because I didn't know anything about this before. So it's, it's cool. Cool stuff. And uh, yeah, so that was awesome. And I think, yeah, soon it will be Easter. Mm -hmm. The next time we talk, it will have been Easter. So... Um, Exciting times then, right? Yeah. What will that have in store? Yeah. Easter bunnies and eggs and revisions and who knows what might have happened back then. So that will be back. <laughs> With and, cables. Uh, or no. Cables, lots of cables. <laughs> Algoraves, cables, all things. And yeah, uh, yeah once again, uh, thank you for listening. This show was hosted by Aki, Axel and Zephoid and produced and edited by Shana and Luguber. Special thanks to TopLab, Scene.org, SceneSat, Echtzeit and Bitfellas. Send your questions to Design Radio Show at Scene.org on Twitter, Facebook, Discord or Puet. If you like the show, please share it with your friends and subscribe. You can find us on SceneSat, Spotify and wherever you prefer to listen to your podcasts. We're everywhere. And on Scene Satellites, right? Yes. And all the Scene Satellites. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Okay, cheers. Bye. Bye.
shit. Sorry, I my browser is not fully on on screen, <laughs> so I can't see. <laughs> Let's keep that. I'll do it. I'll do it again. This is this is this is working from home, people. Here we go.